Welcome to Granite State Matters, the busy person's way to catch up with what's happening in Concord. Because the extremists are taking over the state house, And what you don't know can hurt you. I'm Steve Marchand. And I'm Terry Harkins. In our last podcast, we talked about how New Hampshire leaders have steered the state away from sound energy policy because of pressure from the oil industry and from free staters. And today we're going to investigate how Republicans are changing election law to stay in power. And we'll look at the upcoming bills that would affect the volunteers who run our elections, as well as voters' ability to change course. So let's turn back the clock to 2017. That fall, New Hampshire had the highest percentage of college students of any state population in the nation, one in eight adults. And Steve, over two-thirds of those college students were from out of state. But uh, didn't the Supreme Court affirm that college students could register to vote where they go to school? Yes, they did. In 1979, in Sim v. U.S. But understand that New Hampshire has long been striving to limit who votes. In fact, in the 1970s, New Hampshire was covered by Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act. This is the law that, until recently, required many states in the Deep South to submit changes in election law for pre-approval by the Supreme Court. Right, so Republicans know that college students tend to support more liberal agendas. So what do they do when they see all of these out-of-state students? Well, in 2011, House Speaker O'Brien wanted to curb college student turnout, saying they were, quote, foolish. Then in 2016, Chris Sununu was elected governor. Well, to start with, Governor Sununu refused to reinstate the $100 million to the university system that was cut back in 2011 to balance the state budget during the Great Recession. Instead, he gave a $100 million tax cut to the top 3% of corporations, most of which were outside multinationals. So that kept New Hampshire lowest in the nation for support of universities. And that left our kids with the highest tuition and college debt. What more did Republicans do to decrease the influence of college students, Steve? Well, they went after election law in Senate Bill 3, explicitly aimed to reduce college kids and immigrants' ability to vote. They increased paperwork for voter registration in a way that is burdensome both to voters and town clerks. And they made the registration form so intimidating that it practically required a law degree to understand it. It even threatened to send police to your home to check and make sure you live there. Yes, Steve, students were scared. One professor told us that kids riding with him on a college bus to the polls expected to be met by armed protesters. No wonder the New Hampshire Supreme Court unanimously struck down Senate Bill 3 last July. And of course, the governor is challenging that decision in the U.S. Supreme Court. So one effort to reduce voting has been stymied, at least temporarily. And we have some good election laws here in New Hampshire, don't we? We allow same-day voting. We do. People can walk into the polling place and register on the spot. But the governor has stated that he wants to stop that. But if he does, then the federal requirement will kick in. New Hampshire would need to offer to register citizens to vote when they get a driver's license. The reason New Hampshire is excluded from that law is that we offer same-day voter registration. So, since the governor can't get rid of same day... He and his party are trying to make it as burdensome as possible. The governor vetoed the 2019 bill to allow anyone to vote absentee. This year, he signed a bill to preclude the federal For the People Act from applying to state elections. 
the For the People Act, if by some miracle it passed, would give people the freedom to vote by mail. So the upshot is the current governor and legislators will try to retain office by constraining voters who disagree with them. They'll retain power both by making voting burdensome and by gerrymandering districts, as we discussed in episode two of this podcast. In a moment, Liz Tenerelli, president of the League of Women Voters of New Hampshire, will tell us about New Hampshire bills for the upcoming session and how they'll affect both voters and town volunteers. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. Our guest today is Liz Tenerelli, president of the League of Women Voters of New Hampshire. The League is a nonpartisan organization, and all its work in New Hampshire is done by volunteers. Uh, Liz, thanks so much for being a part of the show today. Uh, We have reviewed New Hampshire's long history of discouraging voter registration and participation earlier in this program. Can you tell us a little bit about the League's role has been in that conversation, in that process? Well, the League of Women Voters has been fighting for voters' rights for 102 years, beginning with that final push for the 19th Amendment to secure women's right to vote. We do our work in two ways. We distribute nonpartisan, factual information directly to voters to help them understand how to register and how to cast a ballot in the simplest wording we can manage. And we host candidate forums in some communities. But we also advocate for or against proposed legislation based on the League's positions. And as you said, Steve, we've seen too many attempts to suppress voting in the past. We testify against such bills, and we urge our League members and friends to contact their own reps and senators about those bills. But sometimes that's not enough, and bad bills get passed. Twice in the past 10 years, we have brought lawsuits against the state for changes in voting laws that would seriously hinder some voters' access to the election process. In 2012, the voter registration form was changed, adding a line which would lead any reasonable person who drives to conclude that they could not register to vote unless they agreed to get a driver's license within 60 days. League was part of a lawsuit on behalf of college students, contract workers, med school students, and so on, who did not have New Hampshire's driver's licenses and technically couldn't get them because they did not have plans to stay in the state indefinitely. Um, That case was settled in 2015 when the judge ruled that the new law was unconstitutional because it placed an undue burden on the right to vote. He said that voting is a fundamental right. The state cannot burden that right without having a compelling state interest in doing so. Now, the suit in which I was directly involved representing League was about Senate Bill 3, passed in 2017. This was the bill that required specific kinds of paperwork to prove where a potential voter lives in order to register. And it also made the voter registration form so complicated that the form itself would deter voters, as we heard from testimony during the trial. The bill included significant fines for failing to deliver those papers to the town clerk, and in its original form, it asked election workers 
to personally verify with an on-site visit where voters live. As you can imagine, there are many people who, for one reason or another, would not be able to provide such domicile papers. Everyone from a young person just starting out, living informally with friends, to elderly voters who have moved in with their grown children, no longer drive, so have no paperwork to prove where they live. And the election workers who thought they'd have to knock on doors were terrified. We brought suit, penalties were stayed as the trial went on, and we got the final verdict from the New Hampshire Supreme Court in July of 2021 that Senate Bill 3 was found unconstitutional. Congratulations, Liz, on that pushback to SB 3. So what happened last session in 2021? Did any new measures make it into law? Well, 2021 was an odd year in many ways. A larger than usual number of bills were retained, but then they got very little attention during the fall when they should have been studied and amended. They will be voted on during the January 5th and 6th House session later this week, but most are not recommended to pass. And that's a good thing because some of them were real stinkers. Two were aimed at college students to make it harder or impossible for them to vote where they go to school. One bill would affect mostly older and disabled people who vote absentee, which would have required their absentee ballot application to be notarized. That bill was completely changed, thank goodness, so now it should pass as the simple addition of a printed signature line on the absentee ballot outer envelope. But believe it or not, some positive election laws were passed in 2021. The absentee ballot application form was made clearer. Earlier pre-processing of absentee ballots was allowed, which was a continuation of the 2020 pandemic-necessitated process. All the other changes were quite minor. So looking ahead at the upcoming session, 2022, one of the legislature's first big actions will be to vote on the electoral maps that are redrawn once every 10 years. We covered this process in depth in episode two, Uh, But that was before the proposed maps were publicly available. So how will the maps proposed by the Republican majority, if enacted, affect election outcomes? Well, on January 6th, the New Hampshire House will have to vote on a gerrymandered proposed congressional district map. This is an overt attempt to create a safe Republican seat for District 1 and a very left-leaning District 2. We're a purple state. Voters from both major parties want real choice in congressional elections. I hope that proposed GOP congressional map is defeated on January 6th so that a better map can be offered. In terms of the New Hampshire House District's map, that skews slightly Republican, but I suspect it will probably pass. And then on January 10th, The New Hampshire Senate will hold a hearing on its plans for the Senate and the Executive Council. I'm still studying those versions proposed by each party, and there are indications that both the Senate and Executive Council map are leaning strongly Republican. So, Les, is there any possibility that the maps will not stand a judicial review? I honestly can't answer that question, Terry. The congressional map is not as terribly gerrymandered as some from other states. 
but what a court would think of it is a big unknown. The New Hampshire Supreme Court didn't throw out that 2011 gerrymandered executive council map we've lived with. But we're not there yet at the courts. We still have a chance with some moderate Republicans in the House to defeat the gerrymandered congressional map. Then it has to go to the Senate, and ultimately the governor would have to approve it if he can convince himself that it, quote, passes the smell test, as he promised earlier. I don't think it does. Uh, Liz, do you see any other 2022 legislation that may not be as publicly prominent, but that could impact voters or staff or volunteers as well? I do. The more complicated we make voting, the harder it is for election workers, from town clerks to ballot clerks, moderators, supervisors of the checklist. We're already suffering loss of people for those positions because of COVID anxiety. Add to that more complicated forms, more stringent requirements for paperwork that must be approved, requirements for some forms to be notarized, and I fear we'll see people quitting these jobs in droves before the November midterms. But there are a couple of specific bills I'm worried about. House Bill 1064 would require hand counts in all elections, gets rid of the AccuVote ballot counting machines. Can you imagine the time that will take and the people power in major cities? No more election night results. House Bill 1542, Representative Max Abramson is the sponsor, gets rid of the affidavit a voter could use if he didn't have a photo ID with him on election day. And we've been using that for since 2012. Instead, he would cast a provisional ballot. And then there are pages of details about the steps to go through to have that ballot count. One has to wonder about how counting provisional ballots weeks after an election would affect New Hampshire's first-in-the-nation presidential primary status. Another bill, a proposed constitutional amendment sponsored by Senator Regina Birdsell, the author of SB3 five years ago, would change domicile to domicile and primary residence as a qualification for voting. Constitutional amendments have to go on the ballot, and I think many voters won't know that domicile and residence mean different things in New Hampshire law. But may I tell you about one very good bill coming up, which has bipartisan sponsors and support. This is Senator Jim Gray's bill, House Bill 425, that would create an election information portal, an online site where a voter could change his street address, for example, without going to the town clerk, request an absentee ballot, or even begin the voter registration process online. Uh, Maybe New Hampshire can move into the 21st century with this bill. It would help overwork town clerks. It would reduce handwriting errors and it would streamline voter registration without sacrificing security. Liz, has the League received any reports of intimidation of election officials or voters? We've seen examples of school board and select board meetings being canceled because protesters refused to follow mask mandates, and then they yell to disrupt the meetings. I heard of people standing arms folded in intimidating positions at town meetings. It frightens voters. And right now, it pushes on in some communities to get rid of those ballot counting machines to require all ballots be hand counted 
even though there is no evidence that hand counting is more accurate. In fact, David Brooks of the Concord Monitor did a study in December that shows the opposite. Yet the proponents are suggesting that voting machines are inaccurate, and that is discouraging to voters. I suspect some election officials who rely on these machines to do that huge job are seeing these attacks as personal, that they are viewed as somehow rigging the machines. We need to fight against House Bill 1064 when it comes up for a vote in the next few months, and town governments need to argue for ballot counting machines if that's what they've been using successfully. We are so pleased to get some of your time today. Your expertise uh, is obvious. Just listen to you for a few minutes today. And a lot of this may not be the sexiest stuff that's the headline. A couple of these issues are. But clearly, there's a number of, of places in the legislature in 2022 where real impact, in a good or bad way, could occur. And uh, we're really glad that you've, you've got your finger on this. Thank you so much, Steve. My pleasure to talk to you about it. Liz Tentarelli, thanks for coming on and making us smarter. Thank you, Terry. This has been Granite State Matters discussion on election changes, staff and voter impacts. Our next episode will focus on how the people put in charge by these stacked elections have been raising town property taxes and the tricks they use to hide what they're doing. And you can follow our bi-weekly podcast at your favorite podcast provider and share it with friends and neighbors because extremists are taking over the statehouse. And what you don't know can hurt you.